Daniel Zellhuber is the whitest name I've ever heard before <laughs> in my entire life. Welcome into Tapping Vegas, brought to you by Better and Green. We're going over the Brandon Moreno, Brandon Royval fight, the fight of the Brandons. And if you've ever been into Tapping Vegas, just to let you know, we have the bets that cash that make Vegas crash. If you need money in a flash, don't go to that other trash. Come to us. Bobby, last week, you might be able to throw us in that trash pile. But it was our first losing week. We're 8-1 and one so far against Vegas. You got a quick recap for us? Yeah, quick recap, I believe, just for the sake of full honesty and transparency, we were negative three units to end uh, last week, which, once again, it sucks. Nobody likes uh, going negative on units, but at least, A, we have units to go negative into, so we got plenty to spare, and B, you know what our record is, and you know how transparent we, we are because we keep you updated every step of the way. And C, it was the first time since the article days when I first started last summer writing articles and since the inception of this show that we have had such a losing week. And that's pretty impressive with how unpredictable MMA is that we were able to sustain such positive growth in terms of our units and, uh, you know, our plus bets and everything else and have such a winning record for so long, stretching back to last summer where, you know, negative three units, if not more, is just a regular day at the office for a lot of your other betting shows. <laughs> and I mean, we're over here, <laughs> we're only up 42 units uh, since November. Uh, that's nothing to scoff about. Also right. last week, just about, worst case scenario possible for us because that was the most split we've ever been which is fine in last week's card because the the odds were so lopsided except none none of the underdogs hit except for the only one we agreed on volkanovsky so all of those plus 200s we took none of those hit so worst possible scenario but i'm actually feeling very good about this card bobby are you ready to get into it yeah, go ahead. Take us away. All right, our first fight, we have Chris Duncan versus Manuel Torres. Uh, Chris Duncan, more like Chris Duncan, these nuts on your chin. Uh, dude sucks. Dude is terrible. Horrible striker. He's got kickbox style, slow as can be, poor grappling. Uh, I don't think he's great at anything. 11-1, I honestly don't know what 11 people off the streets that he beat. Uh, Manuel Torres also, I don't think he's great, but... 5-0, tactical precision, good movement, very quick. He's got that sub aspect to his game. I think he's a much better grappler. Uh, I like Torres in this one, and I like Torres a lot. Uh, the thing I might like the most in this fight, <clears throat> I said it on, uh, I tweeted out on Monday, and I will have it in my article coming out on Saturday morning. I'm looking at this over one and a half. It's at plus 160. I believe it's the only one and a half um, on this card. I like that a lot. And I say that because 48% of lightweight fights I found are ending in decision. Um, average time of fight for the lightweight division is 10 minutes, 34 seconds. So you're looking at 34 seconds into the third. You already cash there. And the type of cage they're fighting, they're down in Mexico City. They're fighting in a 30-foot cage. The apex is a 25-foot cage. So just that 5-foot difference, the whole mass of the cage shrinks when uh, that happens. It actually the knockout rate and sub rate decreases by 10% in these bigger cages because there's just more room to move, more room to get free. 
So I really like this going over one and a half. They just have to get over 730. I really, really like that number. I think that this probably goes to decision because I think Chris Duncan, although he's not good, he does have a strong chin. Um, I think he's able to hold up. So if you can get Manuel Torres at decision at plus 900, that's the way I'm leaning with a huge payout. Um, at minus 192, you're getting about half of your money payout. Uh, I mean, I'd be fine Manuel Torres money line, but if you have the balls, do the decision plus 900. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, definitely can't disagree with decision at plus 900 when your money line on Torres is, uh, as of right now on DraftKings, Torres is a minus 192, Duncan's a plus 160. Very brutal assessment of Duncan. I was uh, looking at Duncan, and I thought, well, why haven't I heard of this guy? Because he seems like a guy I'd be interested in. Uh, pretty impressive knockout win to get a contender series contract two years ago in 2022. So I was thinking, why haven't I heard of him? He wasn't really familiar to me. And I realized it's because he's been very inactive. Uh, he lost his first contender series fight, uh, Vicheslav Borshev's uh, Slava Claus, a guy I kind of like. But uh, no shame in losing your first contender series fight to him. So it took Duncan uh, a little while to get back on the contender series where he won, like I said, from right cross to ground strikes in round one. And then he was just very inactive, fought twice in 2023, was supposed to fight Terrence McKinney uh, October last year, fell through. So now he's up against Torres. This is tough because, you know, personally, I'd like to see Chris Duncan win just from a, I think I like him more standpoint. But since this fight's in Mexico City, I'm going to not be as technical and as scientific with my analysis this card as uh, my co-host. I'm going to take a different approach here, try something a little different from last week and just be kind of a caveman and just say uh, – Mexico City is where this fight takes place. High elevation, high altitude, obviously strain on the cardiovascular system, gassing out, et cetera, et cetera. Plus the intangible, back to tangibles and intangibles, the intangible of uh, Torres is Mexican. This fight takes place in Mexico. And the UFC is really wanting to break into that Latin American market and that Mexican market. And, uh, you know, just like, uh, you know, immigrants want to come over into America across the southern border, the UFC wants to do the inverse and go into Mexico and really get that sweet, sweet peso money. So this is kind of a showcase card for a guy like Torres against what they're probably thinking is an easily beatable opponent for him. Get him uh, more than likely. I do like plus 900 on decision. Let me check out KOTKO right quick, though, because this is uh, this is kind of like a, their attempt at a layup for Torres. So let me check the odds on that to see how probable I think it is since we're trying to get the uh, Mexican market locked down. So I'm not really scoffing at a decision unless knockout is just uh, close or better. And right now, knockout... Is minus 110. So, yeah, I'd rather just go decision. I like that better because money line's already not that great. And it actually literally just as I was speaking has gotten even worse for Chris Duncan. Uh, I don't even know what I said to you almost one minute ago. It's now minus 192 for Torres, and I believe it was plus 130 for Duncan. Now it's plus 160 for Duncan. 
So I don't anticipate that KOTKO line to get any better. It's only going to get worse and minus 110. Decision still at plus 900. Yeah, I can't see much to disagree with on there. I think this is a pretty pretty prime layup for Torres to kind of break into that Mexican market and put on our show. Quick question with you saying that they're giving you they're giving you such bad odds for the knockout. Do they know something? I mean, it seems so obvious the decision and the over. Is it the knockout under? Are they telling you? They're giving you the odds. They're saying it's going to be a knockout. It's going to be under one and a half. It's going to be a Taurus early knockout. Or did Vegas just get it wrong? So here's the round by one. uh, Excuse me. Damn. Round by round breakdown for that. So if you say Torres get your KO, TKO in round one, that's a plus 150. Uh, Round two is a plus 650. Round three is a plus 1,400. So I'm not sure why, just flat out Manuel Torres, KOTKO is at a minus 110. But if you specifically choose a round, then it just depends on which one, one through three. But you have pretty huge odds that obviously exponentially increase on each one. Uh, I feel like Vegas is definitely pushing the Torres first round knockout then. Which I would not be surprised. Once again, the altitude does play a role. Uh, You know, it's hard to train at altitude if your camp's not there. A guy like Duncan, who doesn't really have a lot of money to stake into his camps to really dedicate to his training, he's not going to have the ability, you know, to fly into Mexico City and get acclimated, you know, maybe more than a week, and that's not enough to get acclimated, so... I could definitely see that potentially playing a role, if not an outright, you know, uh, classic out cold knockout where he's stiff on the ground, maybe something from like an accumulated volume. And even first round could still have accumulated volume because it is just so high up in altitude that if he's coming out swinging wildly and trying to like, you know, basically, I guess, get to Torres before Torres gets to him, very easy that he's going to deplete himself and could get the accumulated damage in round one and lose that way. But I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough one. I I would actually personally like kind of round two more because you did mention that Duncan has a pretty decent chin. Right. So I think he could probably get out of round one, and your odds on round two are even better at the plus 650 as of right now. So I would actually go, if you want to make some money on the knockout, plus 650 right now in round two because I think he could survive. Duncan could survive one, like you said, because of the chin. But then round two, he's going to start to wear it, and he's probably going to break down because he's not used to not used to his uh, cardiovascular system kind of being taxed. Yeah. Yeah, so I will have more about this fight in my article coming out Saturday morning. Like I said, you can get all my plays for just, uh, just $1. $1, $5, $10, $10 tiers on bettergreen.com. So if you do want to hear more about this fight, head over there. Uh, Bobby, I'm going to let you take this next fight. All right, so the next fight we have is the Crimson Chin versus Ricky Tercios. I'm just kidding. It's Raul Rojas Jr. versus Ricky Tercios. So Raul Rojas Jr. obviously has quite the jawline. I'll give him that. This is a guy that I know a lot of people have been very high on since he's been in the UFC, and he's kind of been touted as this next hot prospect, I'll be honest. Haven't necessarily seen it from him. 
Uh, don't get me wrong. I think he's good for sure. I think he's definitely got talent. He does belong in the UFC, and there are guys that come along and girls that don't necessarily belong regardless of talent. But all this to say, Raul Rojas, I do believe, has a place. I'm just not really as sold on him as others. I know he only has one loss so far in his young career, and it was a unanimous decision that he's since bounced back from. Uh, lost in April 2023, but then September last year, round one punches for Mount win over Terrence Mitchell, so a nice little rebound there. Good to see him able to do that because a lot of young fighters, uh, even though he wasn't necessarily undefeated, he had already lost one time before in the uh, regional scene. To get your first UFC loss can oftentimes be pretty demoralizing. So it was good to see him come out and get a first round uh, finish victory after that. So that was nice. But I mean, all in all, it, it, he's just so young in his career. It's kind of hard to tell where his ceiling and his floor uh, kind of lays because Jay Perrin, I don't even know if that dude's still in the UFC, but that's who Ricky, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, Rojas Jr. beat in his debut after the contender series. Terrence Mitchell, not really that great, I'll be honest, but, you know, round one finish over him. So, Tercios is definitely going to be a challenge for him because Tercios has overall more experience uh, at 12-3 and uh, zero no, no contest. He has the experience edge over the 8-1 and one Rojas, but I'm not necessarily sold by any means, don't get me wrong, on Tercios either because Tercios, excuse me, himself, isn't exactly a world beater, and I hate to just look at records and everything, but with two guys who you're not really sure, you know, of much information about them because they're so young in their careers, you kind of have to rely on, you know, who they've beaten before in their records to kind of help you out a little bit. And one thing that definitely sticks out to me the most about Tercios that's concerning, and once again, this is 2017, so plenty of time to change, adapt, grow for the uh, better and to make progress. But still, he lost a unanimous decision on his uh, Contender Series debut in 2017, Tercios did, to Boston Salmon. And I'm pretty uh, – he's a meme in the MMA community, as we all know, so that was disappointing. Uh, Boston's never really made it very far in his professional MMA career, unfortunately. So a loss to him is not something to kind of take solace in. So that's concerning. And then after that, he Tercios went back on the regionals until he went on the ultimate fighter and won his fights on the ultimate fighter. And then since then, he's not exactly been too hot. I mean, he's won against Brady Heiston, but it was a split decision. Kevin Natividad win was a split decision. Dude's king of split decisions. So this is tough. Uh, I don't know if he's Mexican. I just know he's Hispanic, so I can't really go with him on the uh, Mexican edge there. But Rojas Jr. is probably the one they're trying to push for the Mexico City audience. So this is another fight where, once again, I'm just going to say I think Rojas is getting the layup. I think they're trying to push him. I think they're kind of setting Tercios up here. And that's fine. I get it. That's what the UFC does. They're in the business of trying to, you know, build up guys and girls who they think are going to be stars and, you know, toss them a layup here and there like Patty Pimblett and whatnot. So I'm going to go Rojas, uh, Rojas Jr. And let me see what the odds are on that because obviously if you're going to go with Tercios, you're going to choose split decision because the guy's the king of split decisions, which is just hilarious in and of itself. So, but yeah. 
Crimson Chen, not a bad fighter, just not a guy that I'm too sold on. But, I mean, for the intents and purposes of this card, I think they're trying to give him a bounce back. Even though he's already had a bounce back, this is just another little layup to try to get his name out there, get people on him. And I'm not crazy about how he's already at a minus 218, Rojas Jr. is, and Tercios is at a plus 180. But I will say I am now shocked because it just pulled up on my phone. Rojas Jr. by KOTKO is a lot better than I thought it would be at a whopping plus 550 right now. And that is very surprising for a guy who has at least some finishing power in his uh, UFC career and is also just coming off a uh, punches from Mount Wynn, which counts as a KOTKO. So I'm liking that plus 550 for Rojas Jr. by KOTKO quite a bit, actually. And that's just without round selection. That's just flat out KOTKO. And plus 200 for subs, not bad either. But overall, I'm putting my money on the KOTKO at plus 550 for Rojas Jr. What are you thinking, Ben? Um, both starting off, both these guys are American with Hispanic origins. So it's kind of hard to play which side the uh, crowd's going to take to. I lean Raul's side. Uh, he wears the sombrero and everything. He's pretty into his Mexican heritage, or I should say Hispanic heritage. Um, this Raul's chin is so tough. He can't even open his mouth to speak. You know what I'm saying, man? This is going to be a really good fight. Uh, <laughs> he's incredibly <laughs> agile. Uh, he's great grappling spider spider monkey tendencies, man. He just clings to you. What I did notice about him is he has a very deep jujitsu knowledge where he knows a lot of a lot of submission holds. Like I think he knows a lot more than a lot of these guys out there that I see competing. Uh, and he comes out with a storm, which it will lead him to gassing. Um, earlier in the match, but I'm looking at Turkios. Uh, Tercios, he struggles with the grappling, where I think Raul's going to have a huge advantage. He wants to box. He's got a defensive style. He's dangerously unpredictable, so he can uh, you know, do the, any of those flying knee type stuff. But that defensive style versus the barrage of Rosas coming at him, I mean, you're just kind of asking to get chinned there. Uh Two fights ago, Tercios landed, he threw 235 strikes. He landed 27 of them. I haven't seen someone. wildly inaccurate. Wildly inaccurate. I haven't seen someone punch air like that since middle school. A uh, kid had like 17 Red Bulls. Uh, <laughs> I, I see Raul. I'm going to, I think he's going to sub him, actually. I think the sub plus 200 is the way that I would go. Um, I just think with Tercios backing up. He's letting Raul dictate where this fight goes. And if this fight goes to the ground, I don't see it ending well for Ricky. I don't blame you at all. Plus 200 is also a really good value either way you look at it for a guy who, as I said, is pretty good at finishing even in his UFC career. It's kind of insane that he has a KOTKL win and a sub win. So it's kind of like a positive version of pick your poison. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Getting to this next one. Oh, boy. You know what? I haven't even underlined one yet. I know who I'm going with, but this is the one I struggle with the most. I'm talking about Daniel Zellhuber versus Francisco Prado. This, Bobby, is my knuck if you buck fight of the night. Oh, there we go. Zellhuber, amazing gas tank, but he, he's got low hands. 
uh, boxing heavy hands that are fast. So he can, he can really throw. He's got good movement and a great chin. Looking at Prado, this dude is just a dog. Like, he's had six fights since 2022. Just in the last, what, two years, this dude is just, like, running through people. You go on Sure Dog, Tapology, whatever, you look back six fights, you're, like, early, or like, 2000, maybe late 2019, 2018, 2017. This dude's got six fights since 2022. He, he wins by just having that dog in him. Um, he's patient. Some of these fights, I'm not going to lie, he doesn't have a bunch of UFC experience. It looks like they cleaned the chicken shit out of a cockfighting cage and shoved him in. So I don't know the, <laughs> the level of competition this guy's faced. I really don't. I worry about Prado. He's not good on his back. He's not a grappler. All he's going to do is he's going to come in and just try to box the hell out of you. And in a boxing match, we're looking at Zell Huber with a 77-inch reach versus a guy with 69-inch reach, which is nice, but... That's an eight-inch reach yeah. advantage. That's crazy. So uh, this guy's not going to want to stand up. He's going to get pieced together. By the way, he's got great uh, – Prado's got great striking defense. The only problem is he defends the strikes with his face. Uh, Zell Huber, I think he's going to piece him up. I think Prado might have enough of it and try to shoot a takedown where he's worse than Zell Huber. And I just see Zell Huber being able to really control him from there. I don't know. I don't know how this one ends. I really don't. I don't know if it's a sub or what with Zell Huber. I, I would just go the money line, which is disgusting. It's almost in the 300. It's like minus 270 right now. I would, or I'm leading the decision at plus 175. I could see TKO. I could see sub. I could see it being any way. Uh, Zell Huber, I don't consider him being one of those really elite guys with like uh, Rosas we were just speaking about. I don't think his jujitsu, I don't even know what he's trained in. I just, I haven't seen that aspect of him. I really don't know how good it is. And against a guy like Prado, I don't know. I don't know. I just see Zell Huber winning. What do you think, Bobby? This fight was kind of a mind fuck for me yeah. for a variety of reasons. The first one was I know neither one of these guys before I started doing research had never even heard of them in the UFC. And Daniel Zellhuber is the whitest name I've ever heard before in my entire life. So imagine my surprise when I go on Tapology and see this olive-skinned, chiseled Adonis staring back at me. And instead of this, you know, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little youth dude, it was, a, it was quite the shock. That was the first shock I had, was not the mental image I had in my head when I heard the name Daniel Zellhuber. Yeah. Definitely was not expecting a, a Mexican gentleman, let's just say that. And uh, the other one was, yeah, Francisco Prado, his highlights in Samurai Fight House, the, <laughs> the regional scene that he was on before making his way to the UFC, definitely made me a little tentative. But I looked at the odds, and my second shock was looking at the odds and how this is the greatest discrepancy in odds, I believe, on damn near the whole card. Zell Huber at minus 270, Prado at plus 220 currently. So I was asking myself, well, why are the odds so drastically far apart for two guys who honestly, both of them, I don't really see much much coming from them in the future type thing. So that was my second shock after the whole name thing. And then, yeah, I mean, you pretty much are spot on. It, it's a very tough fight, especially if you are leaning towards Zell Heber. 
I will say this, though. He is coming off a Anaconda Choke submission win from uh, last September in round two. So at least he does have that very, very fresh in his fighting repertoire. Other than that, though, uh, Calf Slicer's a sub, but that was back in 2020 on the regional scene. Triangle from 2017 in the regional scene. And then the rest, you know, some punches and knee finishes sprinkled in there. few decisions. So, I mean, he does have subs on his record, and at least he does have a UFC right. sub. So it's tough. I definitely agree with you that he has the edge over Prado because that was the first thing I noticed about Prado was a dynamic striker and his uh, Samurai Fight House uh, win over Jose Barrios Vargas. Very willing to just throw everything, throw wheel kicks, throw spinning heel kicks, just whatever he can throw. He was definitely very dynamic and willing to do it, which is nice to see somebody who is so – flowy the flow state that conor mcgregor talks about nice and loose and all the other you know nonsense he shouted artem lobov on that series of the contender series about staying uh loose to get the knockout and all that so it's good to see stuff like that because when you're not as tense you are willing to try things that you know keep keep your opponent guessing keep them off guard they're not expecting it giving them different looks things of that nature but I mean, overall, yeah, it's very hard to tell kind of where he's at in his young UFC career because this is only going to be his third fight overall in the UFC. And I'm also very concerned that he, in his debut, so I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt since it was his debut, lost to Jamie Malarkey by unanimous decision uh, February last year because Jamie Malarkey, while a tough, durable guy who always puts on exciting shows, is not exactly good himself and is honestly unfortunately probably not going to be long for the UFC with all the losses he has and some of those coming by brutal finishes so that in and of itself is a concern for me to lose to Jamie Malarkey once again not trying to do MMA math but these guys are young in their career so I gotta gotta draw from some something somewhere uh, something that didn't press me though was for all the hype Otman Azitar and uh his brother have had, even though he's now on a skid and himself looking at being uh, cut from the UFC, still was nice to see that Prado has a uh, finish over Otman Azaitar by punches in round one. That was a nice, uh, nice indication to me of his staying power because Azaitar is a guy who is highly touted for years now since 2019, hasn't fought much, very inactive. As you mentioned, Prado, it's very rare that you have a guy with six fights in you know, a year when there's guys in the UFC like Azaitar that barely fight once a year at this rate, and they're going to age out before they can even get kicked out at this point. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I just hate the money line also. You already mentioned it's disgusting. So I'm going to be a little ballsy and say Zell Hubbard by sub at plus 500, pretty much exactly how you described it. Uh, Prado's going to get gassed, and he's going to start shooting for takedowns. In the words of Nate Diaz, oh, you thought you were a wrestler, and he's going to get choked out. So, yeah, plus 500, Zell Hubbard sub. Just to take the sting off that disgusting money line, I think it's going to play out exactly how you described it. There we go. I love hearing that Vegas is shaking their boots. Cause any of the times that we're pretty seeing eye to eye, we've won the only, only episode we've been split was the only one we didn't win. So this is not looking good for Vegas. 
Um, I think the I think we're gonna be on the same uh, wavelength for this last fight, but this next one I don't know about. This might be the only one that we're split. So I'm interested to hear what you think. All right, so this one is Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. So this is a very exciting fight. This is probably my most anticipated fight on the whole card. And this is actually a rematch between Rodriguez and Brian Ortega because the last fight they had ended abruptly in the first round because Brian Ortega dislocated his shoulder. So it was ruled a win for Yair Rodriguez by KOTKO, I believe it was. That's usually how they call like a uh, medical injury wins, they go down as a KO, TKO. So it's very misleading if you just look at it. You think, oh, you know, Yair knocked him out or, you know, whatever. No, it was a freak injury and Ortega's shoulder dislocated, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, because that fight was such a blue baller that I watched live. Uh, Yair was actually engaging with Brian Ortega on the ground, which is a huge no-no for somebody of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu chops as him. And Yair was trying to pass his guard. Yair was standing up on his feet, had Ortega's uh, ankles in his hands trying to pass. And obviously Ortega was trying to sweep a reverse, and he just suddenly popped his shoulder. So that leads me to believe I'm very concerned that Yair would be so willing. And I know that this was like last year or whenever it was that they fought, but it still remains that I'm very concerned that Yair was so willing, especially that early in the fight in the first round at the very beginning to engage with a guy that you should know better than to engage with on the ground. So yeah, this was two years ago now, July, 2022, and Yair had no fear. So that's very concerning that he was that willing because Yair is not a guy who has very good grappling at all. In fact, for a long time, that was his kind of kryptonite, was grappling. Frankie Edgar, a uh, grizzled veteran at the time of his meeting with Yair Rodriguez in 2017, was supposed to be sacrificing him to the hot young Mexican prospect, brutally TKO'd the hell out of Yair Rodriguez and swole his eye up to like the size of a grapefruit, just basically off takedowns and taking top position and, you know, using strikes from mount and various other grappling positions and just kind of had his way in the grappling with Yair Rodriguez. So it's pretty concerning that somebody like Ortega and Ortega is kind of like the last guy and girl for that matter because uh, I'm about to segue into something here with this, that is actually using their jujitsu, their BJJ, in dynamic, interesting ways that actually leads to finishes. He's kind of the last of a dying breed, because as we saw, I believe it was last weekend with Mackenzie Dern, if Mackenzie Dern cannot get her jujitsu utilized, she's going to get destroyed. She's going to get pieced up on the feet. She's going to either get knocked out or TKO'd. She's just got nothing. Um uh, Let's see, Crone Gracie, the other guy, Crone Gracie. It, butt scoot galore, just absolutely embarrassing, like the worst representative of BJJ and MMA you can think of. That's all he has. He got destroyed by Cub Swanson just by eating body shot after body shot that would have TKO'd anybody else. Terrible example of jiu-jitsu and MMA. Brian Ortega is the last guy who legitimately – can snatch up a sub from anywhere. He was very close by Volkanovsky's own admission to finishing Volk by a mounted guillotine, I believe it was, uh, when he challenged Volkanovsky for the title. 
He's won by submission in the UFC, which is always good to see. Very impressive triangle choke finish over Cub Swanson. Uh, let's see who else. Hanato Moicano, an accomplished grappler and BJJ guy in his own right. He choked him out with a guillotine. Triangle win over Diego Brandao. Triangle over uh, Jordan Rinaldi on the regional scene. Like just so many sub finishes. And to get them in the UFC is just incredible. And has really only lost to the most elite guys in the UFC. Lost to Max Holloway. That was a pretty brutal fight, but no shame in it. Lost to Volkanovski, as I said. And then Yair. So Yair's kind of the only one that's got an asterisk since it was due to an injury. And even his striking, Ortega's striking at the time of his fight with Chan Sung Jung after he had a long layoff to recover from the beatdown from Max Holloway. Came back with some very new and improved striking that he just absolutely picked apart uh, Korean Zombie with and handily won a unanimous decision win October 2020. No resistance from Korean Zombie, and that was before Korean Zombie was starting to decline. So it's really good to see that he did have so much improvement, not only in his striking, but his grappling was already top-notch, and he continues to train and improve upon that. Whereas Yair kind of feels like the guy who's – just a one-trick pony. I know he kind of has his own triangle choke outlier finish over Josh Emmett uh, February last year, but once again, that's an outlier. Other than that, I think uh, Yair is just kind of the guy we know him to be. Flashy taekwondo kicks, uh, you know, some karate kicks, just constantly using his feet. And then once he does knock you down with his kicks, uh, punching like your little sister on top of you, uh, you know, when she's kicking your ass to kick you off the TV is pretty much how I describe it because he just has the wildest flailing punches to try to end fights, kind of like Donkey Kong banging on some drums or something, and the referee just stops it because it looks bad, not because it is bad. So, I mean, if he can't if he can't initiate, initiate that game plan, he's pretty much a fish out of water. So I'm very curious to see how Ortega is going to be able to use his jujitsu to get setups without even needing takedowns because he gets some uh, subs from the clinch and being able to utilize the clinch, which is really impressive because most BJJ practitioners in MMA don't even have takedowns, let alone clinch work to be able to get the sub. Like how he just smoothly, I think it was off this uh, clinch, got the sub on uh, Cub, excuse me. So I just think all that to say I'm going with Brian Ortega on this one. It is really good matchmaking for where both of these guys are at in their career, both having lost to Volkanovski before in pretty devastating fashion. Now he's not the champ. This is kind of a good opportunity to kind of get those two weeded out between each other, see who might be next in line for maybe a shot at Taporia. But I personally feel like they each need one more fight after this, depending on who wins to then qualify for the title shot. But this is pretty good matchmaking for the UFC on their part. Pretty even match, but I do like the odds, which is another reason why I'm liking Ortega because right now he's a plus 130 at a minus 155 to year. And Ortega by sub is at plus 300, which is insane to me since he's going up against a guy who literally you know his game plan and he's going to be really desperate to strike. And if he does find himself engaging in those situations of grappling with Ortega, then once again, I'm worried. I, the only reason why he made it out of the first round last fight without getting subbed by Ortega is because of the freak injury and the shoulder dislocating. He immediately 
was wanting to grapple with Ortega, which is just the worst possible game plan. So I think he's just going to be really overzealous, and he's going to get caught. He's going to get caught because Ortega is just really good at finding openings to catch you in for subs, and especially at a plus 300. If you're wanting a prop, that's an easy prop. Even if you want KOTKO, that's plus 550, and his striking, as I've said, has greatly improved. But I would take that sub, and if you don't want to take a prop, you can't even go wrong with the money line because it's a respectable plus 130, and that's what made me also want Ortega because I'm not seeing why this isn't such a such a close fight. I feel like the odds should be a lot closer. So for Ortega to be the, be the underdog, this might possibly be my LL Cool J pick of the pick of the night for this. What do you think, Ben? I like it, man. I like it. I think if you're going to go Brian Ortega, I I absolutely think that the sub is probably the way to go there. Um, I see this fight a little differently, though. So I see Yair got good kicks, fast hands. He performed well versus Volk. Uh, he did get finished, whereas Ortega uh, made it the distance and also had Volk in a couple. Uh, I think I watched that fight getting ready for that. I think he had like three opportunities where he locked something up on Volk. So his his grappling and jujitsu is just insane. Probably one of the best, like you said, uh, that's out there right now. Um, he's got poor takedown defense. The list of people he's faced, though, is just incredible. Like Volk and Ortega too. Both these guys have really been tested. Volk, Holloway, all the big names in the division. Um, I've got sneaky hidden intentions. He's able to not telegraph some of his big hits, and he's able to just really kind of pull him out of his butt. Um, that spacing is going to be the factor. So how I saw that fight, I did not see Yair wanting to grapple with him. I saw Ortega just having really good pressure and getting him up against the cage, working his way to that takedown. So, and for Brian Ortega getting into him, I'm not going to hold the fact that he looks like a local trailer park divorcee against him, but he, he has great pressure against the cage. Um, his subs are incredible because he could get them from any angle, much better grappler. But my, my big thing is he can get pieced up when standing. I mean, we saw his fight against Max Holloway. Holloway felt bad punching this dude in the face so much so that he's like, dude, he grabs his hand and he's like, hold it up here. So when I punch you in the head, it doesn't hurt as bad. It's not as bad. His, yeah, it was impressive. And part of that, Holloway's just really good. But part of that, Ortega's just really, really bad at strike defense. Um, and that's where Yair Rodriguez, uh, he's great at Ortega. Also not as active, partly not his fault, partly not his fault. His last fight was against Rodriguez. It was their first fight. That was all the way back in July of 2022. So you can look at this two ways. Either you're looking at it as he's been off for a long time. He's going to come in and he's already older and Yair, he he's, had uh these high level competition against guys in the meantime he's going to be more oiled more ready to go or you can look at it as ortega is coming fighting the dude that he dislocated his shoulder with it's a vision quest he's just been training for this moment for forever now's his time i i don't see it that way though like his last win was against Korean Zombie. I think Korean Zombie was starting to decline already at that point. Uh, that was all the way back in October of 2020. That was his only fight since we've been in the 2020s. Uh, 2024 now, guys. His last win before that was 2018. 
This dude, I think he was, what, two and three? Yeah, he's two and three with the third loss being back, or his only second victory being 2018. I don't, I don't see Ortega. If he's able to get to Rodriguez and pressure him against the cage like he did last time, he's got a chance. I just, I feel like years are going to piece him up and it could absolutely go the decision route or could get a stoppage like the Holloway fight. I don't think Ortega gets knocked out, but he's just going to get so much volume against him. If you do the double chances at minus 140, um, do I have the Rodriguez pulled up? Rodriguez by decision plus 250. I feel like I would go Rodriguez by decision. Not bad. I mean, I can't disagree. I just see it a little differently and hopefully hopefully it plays out for a big plus, but it, it is tough. Uh, that's why I think the odds should be a lot closer than they are for sure because to have one be such a – it's not a huge favorite, but to be a pretty decent favorite, I, I do strongly disagree with. I think this should almost be a pick at this point. Yeah, I do agree with you there because both of them have their method way to win. Ortega with his wrestling, Ayer with his striking. So with it being 155 and 130, I, I don't blame you for taking that value. And it was actually a good point you brought up that he does have the wrestling also. So it's nice that he has the wrestling, the clinch work, all these ways to actually get it done instead of just Crone uh, Gracie in his way, butt scooting around the octagon. Right. Yeah, I don't see him like that at all. Moving into the main event, we've got Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval, Battle of the Brandons. And before you flood the comment section, yes, Brandon Moreno was McLovin and super bad. Uh, just get over it. He's a fighter now. <laughs> Uh, Moreno, th- these two fought already. Moreno versus Roy Val too. Uh, Moreno controlled the pace in that fight. Uh, really pieced up Roy Val pretty good. Um, he's been at this championship level for a while now. He did lose it, I believe it was to Pantoja, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, he's he's a better grappler, just straight up versus Roy Val. Roy Val, he's got higher volume. He can strike from all angles. He's had strong competition. I mean, he's faced, what, Pantoja twice. This is his second bout with uh, Moreno. Sub-artist, but can he sub-Moreno? Can he even get in a position to sub-Moreno? I believe his is like the rear naked choke is his move. I don't see him getting behind Moreno. Uh, He's coming off a title loss to Pantoja. Is he going to lose back-to-back rematches? Yes. Yes, and I say that fairly confidently. Um, and the bookmakers see it that way too. I don't think Roy Val is a great fighter. This is not anything against Roy Val. He's just not the same level as Pantoja Moreno, and that's that's okay. That's all right. I think Moreno's gonna he's gonna get an early stoppage again. I think it's gonna be a KO. That's at plus three hundred. Uh, so he's at minus two ninety right now. So that's almost like a six hundred point swing, but. Uh, I, I don't see Roy Val really having a chance in this fight. What do you think? The saddest way to explain Roy Val's career would be always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yes. That's pretty much the story of Brandon Roy Val's career, unfortunately. Yes. He is a good fighter. Obviously, I wish he would be able to crack that highest uh, ceiling, but unfortunately, I agree. I don't think he's really going to ever be able to either. He'll always be like a perennial top 10, maybe even top five guy in the division. But he's just always going to meet his match, especially against a guy like Moreno, who already has that edge 
of having finished him before that obviously plays a huge psychological role in everything. And in addition to the fact that Moreno is still, even though he lost to Pantoja and is no longer the champion of the division, he's still the second best guy in that division by a country mile, I feel yes. like. Yes. And, you know, I just think it's going to be Moreno and Pantoja just kind of constantly seeing a lot of each other until somebody else might come up in the 125-pound division. Is Roy Val has already had his chance, unfortunately. And like I've said, he's never been able to finally just crack that upper crust. So he's just going to be, unfortunately, top five, top ten guy. And Moreno's just really good, as you mentioned. His striking, his uh, grappling, it's all just really superb, really good shit that he's able to do and accomplish. And, yeah, to try to keep this short and sweet, I definitely think that he is going to win this against uh, – Roy Val, I think Moreno is going to win again. And I think that he is going to be able to get it done by KO TKO at plus 300 to take the edge off because just the money line's pretty garbage at minus 290 for Moreno. Roy Val's at a plus 235, which is tantalizing. That's another big gap on our card here, but don't be fooled by that. So, yeah, to take the edge off the money line, I'm going to say Moreno by KO TKO at plus 300 because his striking has gotten a lot better. And, yeah, he has, like, a lot of sub wins as well, but it's pretty impressive he was able to TKO Figgy and pretty impressive he TKO'd Kaikara France. And he's TKO'd Roy Val before, so clearly there's something there from the first fight that old habits die hard. I'm sure he could pick up on again in this preparation and capitalize on against Roy Val. So, yeah, that's going to be definitely what I'm going with. Moreno plus 300 KO TKO just outright. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, he's just going to big brother Roy Val. It, it sucks for him. I think Roy Val, he, he's a decent enough guy. He's just, that division's tough. Well, not really that division. Those two guys are tough. Right, Pantoja, Roy Val, Moreno, kind of like the trifecta of that division right now, that they'll just keep seeing each other because they're like the best three in the division, but it's just still Pantoja, obviously, is number one as the champ, Moreno is two, and then there's just kind of that big gap between Moreno and Pantoja and Roy Val that, unfortunately for Roy Val, he just hasn't been able to cross. And it's actually either... That plus 300 for Moreno at KO TKO or the Brian Ortega sub at plus 300 that I'm trying to figure out which one for the Haymaker. Yeah, I was going to say, well, that's my next question. What do you think if you're going between those two? It's tough because those are my top two choices right there, but just to narrow it down to one, I'm just liking being freaky with it. I'm just liking the Brian Ortega plus 300 sub. I know it's a little bit controversial and everything, but – Thanks for sticking by. Thanks for uh, subscribing. Thanks for joining along. It's always fun doing these shows. We couldn't do it, obviously, without the subscriber base and all the fans. So appreciate you sticking by, even if you're still here after going negative uh, three on 41 total units, you know. Oh, God, so terrible. So thanks for sticking around. Uh, thanks for everything. You guys contribute to the Discord and the commentary. And, uh, yeah, just keep going along because this is a lot of fun. And we're just going to continue to get better, and hopefully the cards themselves continue to get better because I'm excited that I think there's like eight weeks left of straight UFC or whatever it is. But, man, some of these cards are really stretching the definition of card and good very thin. And I don't want to hear any of you nerds talk about sneaky bangers 
and the shitty cards that look bad on paper tend to be, no, I don't want to hear it. I've heard it too much. Shitty cards are shitty cards. Sometimes you got to accept it. In the next few weeks, we're just going to have to see how it shakes out because we got a lot of sewer to sift through. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, I love it, man. Um, we're in pretty lockstep uh, today, so I'm expecting us to have a pretty, pretty good week again. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Make sure you guys over to bettergreen.com so you guys can read our articles over there. We just got a new guy on, Aaron. He's going to be writing soccer articles for us, so we're really excited about that. We also got uh, Sharps. Make sure you guys head over to Sharps and use our code BET269. That's BET with two Ts, B-E-T-T-269. You guys can see what plays we're on over there, what we're putting our money on. You guys can actually press the whale tail, and it'll take you straight to your sports book so you guys can tail our plays. Uh, thank you guys for watching. There's going to be more episodes, five-minute wager coming out for hockey. We've got getting technical for college basketball, and we got a new NBA show coming out. Um, make sure you guys stay tuned for that. I believe that's dropping next week. And next week we will also see you for another UFC card. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you later. Peace, guys. Peace. better start listening to the better and green podcast you will not regret it trust me trust me trust me and hey i'm dean blandino welcome 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 to better and green hey to better and green hey to better and green hey listen in and cash out that's what it's all about come on let's make cash now we always on spot and we cover old spot from the bottom to the top hey Shout out to Ethan, shout out to Wyatt, shout out to Ben. Welcome, welcome to our podcast. Better win green.